Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. In today's show, I'm joined by Brian Kaufman. Brian is an author, radio host, a pro wrestler and a blues guitarist from Colorado in the USA. He has recently published his 10th novel, A Persistent Echo, which has received many rave reviews. In the book, Brian draws on the UFO sightings that took place in 1897, and through his protagonist and explorer, August Sims, he sets out to search for the truth behind an alleged UFO crash on a farm near Aurora, Texas, uncovering much more in the process. Hello and welcome to Undercurrent Stories, Brian. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. It's great to have you on the show. Um, whereabouts are you in the U.S.? Is it Colorado? Northern Colorado. Um, we're in the mountains. Um, there's really no nearby town, so I'm pretty isolated. It's very nice. Yeah, I bet. Right right in the countryside. Yes. In fact, nice as I'm looking out the window, there's deer roaming around, and that's oh. pretty cool. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, so it's it's pretty early morning to you, for you. It's it's just early evening here in the UK. Um, it's nine, nine so in the morning now. Well, I'm sure you've had a couple of coffees. <laughs> yes. Anyway, before we talk about the book, Brian, please can you just tell listeners a bit about yourself, your life's journey, and how you eventually sort of got into writing, please? Okay, I started with writing almost. Um, when I was 12, I decided I would either be a professional baseball player or a writer. And since I run the 100-yard dash in about 15 seconds, the the, right, the baseball player thing dropped aside pretty quickly. Um, so I really wanted to be a writer almost from the start. And then uh, I didn't do much with it. Uh, I talked about it a lot. And um, uh, prompted with a few beers, I could give my opinion on writing. <laughs> but when I reached uh, 40, I decided, well, maybe I had to start doing something. And uh, I started with poetry and went to short stories. And I wrote some nonfiction, uh, some essays and some feature articles for local papers. And then I decided I wasn't getting anywhere. I needed to go back to school. So I had never finished my college degree. I went back in, switched my majors to creative writing. And I got my degree. And then shortly thereafter, I finished my first novel. Then I, after 103 rejections <laughs> for my first novel. 103, you remember the number. Yeah. Oh, believe me. <laughs> Everyone was like a body blow. <laughs> I I had decided to put it away, and then I got a letter soliciting the novel, which was really interesting. A small press, and they had come across it from uh, from someone else, and so we published it. And then my whole life changed. Up until then, I was a cook. I spent decades as a cook, and then I got a job writing textbooks. Uh, a job I'm still on until the end of this year. And uh, I continued to write novels and they were successful enough so that nobody ever lost money on me. 
nothing broke through, but it was, that isn't the most important thing for me. Um, I'm able to hop around and continue writing and after 10 novels sounds like a lot, but it's not. Uh, if you think about it, I've been writing seriously for 20, 22 years. That means two years for a single novel and my books are fairly short. So, uh, I'm a slow writer. And now I'm going to retire from my job and I'm going to write full time, my fiction full time. And so we'll see where that goes. New phase of life. Fantastic. Great, great. So doing something that you really want. You obviously clearly have been enjoying it for the last 22 years and you're going to carry on doing it. I've noticed that um, a lot of your books, they're quite different genres. <laughs> yeah. Can you just, I, uh... um, yeah. Could you just tell listeners um, why, well, not so much why you do different, but what those genres are, please, Brian? Sure. Well, first I would say that I started writing my first novel when I was 30. And I didn't finish the next novel for the, the first real novel for 18 years. I kept writing and then the book would go sideways or I'd lose interest. And then I figured out the thing you need to do is write about stuff that you're obsessed about. Uh, one of my novels is a baseball novel. I mentioned baseball. I was really the ultimate baseball fan. And so a baseball novel seemed no understandable. Um, when I was a kid, I visited the Alamo. I, I think the Alamo is a fascinating subject. And my first novel was about, first published novel was about the Alamo. So it's easier for me to finish if I'm just really fired up about. So luckily, I have a lot of obsessions. So I've written historical. Um, I've written horror. Uh, a baseball novel, uh, a Civil War novel. That was my uh, passion when I was in my teens. Uh, a steampunk novel, actually two steampunk novels, because that's fun. It's the, the speculative part. And uh, a blues novel, a novel about a Depression-era blues man. And that's another obsession. And then this latest. Yeah, we were talking about. We were talk Sorry, we sorry to interrupt. We were talking about your playing of the blues. We can talk about that a bit later on. But sure. It, yes, it appears that if you've got an obsession, there's subject matter for a, a novel there. For a novel, yeah. And uh, yeah. this latest novel uh, came out of. I came across these accounts of UFO sightings in Texas, and it appeared legit. And I wanted to see what it was about. And my son and I read some books, uh, discussed them, encouraging the kids to write or to read. And that stuck in the back of my head. I could not let it go. And so that ended up being something that I was writing. Yeah, um, I was going to talk about the novel itself. It takes place at the end of the 19th century with these, I say alleged, I mean, they were documented in in these UFO sightings but were documented in the newspapers, I believe. Um, and I, I believe also that it was sort of investigated by Time magazine in the 1960s or 1970s where where people were, you know, some people were still alive at the time and they recall it. Yeah, you looked at it. That's, that's pretty good. You looked that up. Uh, we, it was documented. 
If you look at the uh, primary sources, you'll see that some of the accounts are very credible. And you'll see that some of the accounts are people who are obviously hopping on the attention bandwagon. And some of the accounts are outright absurd. And just for fun's sake, I put some of those accounts into the novel. Uh, one in particular, a judge who claimed that he actually talked to the people in the UFO and that they were from North Pole land. Um, and they had devised a way of separating, taking ice and breaking it down into uh, hydrogen and oxygen. So the oxygen was burned for heat and the hydrogen fueled their UFOs. The real H.G. Wells stuff, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and But some of them, like I said, some of these uh, accounts were actually credible and um fairly specific so that I nailed down what I think actually happened in the book. So do you believe that there was a sighting of a UFO? I believe, believe that they were crashed? I believe that they were uh that there were airships. I believe that the one that crashed was legit. I think it was a hydrogen fueled dirigible and I think it burned. They were using uh yeah, it's it's fascinating because uh, it's been dismissed. Part of the problem is the local papers didn't do the story justice. Um, the local scientist, the astronomer, said that it was he could positively identify that the pilot was not from this planet, and that kind of th that throws uh, a little shade at the subject, and so people are uh, are skeptical. And, of course, there was a pilot who died, and the pilot was buried in Aurora, Texas, and which is kind of – it's kind of cool. There's a grave site where people think he was buried the, – the pilot was buried, and people leave little offerings on this giant rock. <laughs> and you can, you can Google that and just see pictures of people's presence to this. And the locals call the uh, – the dead UFO pilot, um, Ned. Oh, he's got a name as well. Oh yeah, Ned. <laughs> so so what 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 fascinates me, Brian, is is that the these sightings of what what you've said in your words were spaceships was about thirteen or whatever years before the Wright brothers. So flight hadn't been flight hadn't really been discovered as such, had it? Um do do, do you think there's any any possibility that these were if they were made out of hydrogen, people were actually experimenting, and they and they are they were from from Earth. I think they were railroad employees. Um, I identify one. Um, the the guy's last name was Wilson. Um, I've seen accounts where they speculate that up to four of these ships uh, crashed and burned, um, handling the hydrogen and then using a a, a power. A power source and basically a uh, uh, a fueled engine. You're going to have sparks. So, and I've asked asking the question, how come no one knew about this? Well, they weren't really going to advertise their failures. That's my opinion. No, it's interesting, and we've had UFO sightings ever since and before. I don't know whether you've seen that documentary on Netflix about UFOs uh, going back into time gone by. There have always been, in most 
um, societies and civilizations, there's, al- there's always been drawings and paintings of what appear to be UFOs. Even uh, if I recall, I think Julius Caesar had a UFO sighting and referred to it as a shield flying, uh, wow. which is interesting. Now, for me, my father was uh, a scientist at NASA. So space flight has always been part of the family. And he, early on, when I was a teen, brought home a copy of, uh, I think it was called Project Blue Book. Uh, it's the Air Force accounts of, of UFOs. So he sat me down. And he said, look at this one. Um, there's a guy who sees a UFO generating its own light, hovering above the ground, 50 yards away. And he watched it for a minute. He knew that because he looked at his watch. And then the thing flew away. And the Air Force's response was he didn't have long enough time to really look at it and see what it was. My father hands me a watch and says, count off a minute. I got to 15 seconds and I said, this is a lot of time. (laughs) He said, exactly. (laughs) A minute's plenty of time. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So, what, Brian? What what can people expect from the book? I mean, we've obviously discussed the UFO part. What can we? What can we? What can listeners expect from the the main protagonist? August is is uh, an elderly man. It's an odd choice for a protagonist, but I really love it. Uh, he's looking for one last adventure, so he reads in the papers about the UFOs. He heads to uh, Aurora. He knows the town because his wife died there 15 years earlier. And there's the kernel of the story. Basically, he finds an adventure, but it has more to do with the past than he's expecting. Uh, 15 years earlier, there is a murder, a lynching, and his wife's death. And they're all tied. And they're all tied to the people who are still in town, who do not recognize him. So the unveiling of that mystery is the core of the story. The title comes from a, a fra- the title comes from a phrase he says. Um, he's talking about the past, and his companion says, "Yeah, the past repeats itself." And he says, "It may not repeat itself exactly, but there is definitely a persistent echo." Eighteen ninety-seven is an odd time because. Everything, the things there that were going on echo now. They had a Chinese pandemic. Uh, Over 12 million people died. Uh, It was carried from the ports on ships with ship's rats and 12 million people died. And of course, we're talking about a much smaller population. That's a devastating plague. There was uh, a lot of arrogance in the medical world. I don't want to give away a spoiler on this book because there's a, a a really interesting last third. Uh, and it has to do somewhat with uh, medical arrogance. And I think that sometimes that's echoed too. There was a war where a major power was bullying a smaller power. And I'm not talking about the Ukraine. I'm talking about Spain and Cuba. 
And it's interesting because our interest in that probably had more to do with colonial expansion than it did with helping Cuba. Uh, but that the Spanish-American War resulted from that. People were banging the drum for war. Uh, all of these things were happening. And, oh, and science. <laughs> Technology was pretty full of itself. In America, the head of the patent office around this time said that everything that can ever be invented has already been invented. Not sure if that's a good professional opinion or if it's someone who's just tired of doing paperwork. But but that time echoes today's. And so I wanted to – and some of the – and, of course, the problems that we faced back then, uh, the bigotries, are the same ones. And so I, 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 I talk about why I think that is through my character. Well, that's that's a good um, summary, I think, of, of your book, which sounds really exciting, and I, I can't wait to read it. Um, the, the actual process of, of how you write books, and there might be some people listening who, you know, they might be already be a writer, or they might be thinking about doing a book. In terms of your process of writing a book, could you just tell listeners a little bit about how you work? And, you know, you've obviously come up with the idea um, of the, the UFOs. How, how did the book develop after that? How did you how did you get the plot together and, and some of that subject matter? I will tell you that it takes me as much as 15 years to take the kernel idea and put it on the page. Uh, wow. Uh, I, I have a ton of books going in my head. So uh, which one I end up doing depends on how fully developed I can make the story. I mentioned I live in the mountains. I walk for exercise. And uh, I'm out there probably 90 minutes a day, as much as two hours. And when you're walking, uh, I'm playing scenes out in my head and I run them like a movie. Some people outline books. Some people just see where the story goes. I think I'm in between because I'm ma mapping a story out and I'm mapping a dozen different directions in my head because I'll replay and replay a scene until it's really good. Then when I sit down to write the book, I just remember what I've done. And then I look at it like it was a picture and I describe it. That's very a very interesting account there. So, so you're actually seeing it, visualizing it as scenes um, in pictures, I guess. And, and then, then you've got to put it into words. And then in the back of my head, I'm saying, since I've already visualized it, I know it's cinematic. So maybe they'll give me a million dollars to write a script. <laughs> Well, do you, do you know what? Um, that was going to be my next question, Brian. What about putting some of this to films? I've already... Have you had any any interest? Yes. Um, the baseball book, uh, a screenwriter who is very good, uh, did a treatment on it. Unfortunately, it's a baseball movie. There's crowd scenes. And he began shopping it right at the beginning of 2020. Uh, so nobody was filming crowd scenes during the COVID year. Yeah. It kind of slipped by the side. Yeah. Uh, and my understanding is there is someone else looking at Persistent Echo. Uh, they asked for a script or for a, a copy of the book anyway. So we'll see if that ever, if anything comes out of that. It would be fun. It would be. Good luck with that. And I think it would make an, ex an excellent picture, I have to say. Um, we were talking earlier on just before we were on air about 
guitars because I play the guitar, you play the you say you play the blues guitar. What what is it appeal what is it that appeals to you about the blues guitar, Brian? When I was in college, I went to this vinyl store, used vinyl, and they had a cutout bin. And I was sifting through it, and there's this little EP, four-song thing, uh, by Sonny Terry, the harmonica player. And I thought, well, this looks interesting. Uh, maybe, you know, it's it's not run-of-the-mill, so I bought it. And I knew it was good because a guy says, are you going to buy that? Because if you're not, I will. I took it home, and the first song on it was called Lost Woman Blues. And I was listening to it, and he says the line, I ain't got no sweet potato. Frost done killed the vine. These blues ain't nothing but a woman on my mind. And I, that was it. Boom. It was like, you were I thought, <laughs> I'm so hooked. And I listened to the music for years and years. And then... I, I kept saying I'd sure like to I'd sure like to learn guitar and my wife and my kids bought me a guitar for Christmas one year. And so since then I've been poking at it, trying to teach myself with my uh, sausage fingers here. <laughs> I, <laughs> do you ever play with um, other people musically? Yes, I do. Have a friend who's a phenomenal guitarist and he comes up once in a while stays at the house we plug in and uh it's it's noise all night my poor wife <laughs> so is it is it the old tra- traditional sort of old school blues that you like acoustic blues or, or are you i mean i say it's a long time ago now stevie ray vaughan type stuff in in the 80s or or is it that traditional acoustic blues that you like uh, there's a mix my friend is able to play uh johnny winter stuff which is amazing to me. Um, And he's doing a flat pick. Johnny Winter used finger picks. He had more than one finger going at the time. For me, I I really like the old guys. Um, Elmer James, uh, Muddy Waters, of course. Uh, Any of those, any of the the early guys, I, I tend to end up, I like them. And it's it's almost more. The Stevie Ray is <laughs> way out of my league. <laughs> I think he brought the blues to a new generation, didn't he? Yes, he surely did. Uh, and I love that that it's still alive. I have connections with folks online who listen, and we share music files, and it's they just love it the same as I do. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. One of the new groups that I just knock me out is Larkin Poe. It's a couple of sisters. Oh yeah. Uh, and they're amazing. Uh, I even, I went to a blues festival in Billings, Montana of all places. Uh, they have their magic city blues. And my wife got the VIP table. I'd never seen anything like that. And we were right there right up there watching them. And so we got to see Keb Moe and uh, Larkin Poe and Samantha Fish. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, <laughs> they're so good. And you mentioned earlier on about it helps to, for, for yourself. It helped to have an obsession. To, so you became very interested in writing. And you wrote this novel about the blues guitarist. Yeah. Could you just tell listeners a bit about that book? Sure. Um, it refers to some of the original uh, recordings on aluminum discs uh, 
um, Alan Rankin, uh, and they're being cataloged in uh, the Smithsonian by a young gal who corresponds with a kid in Pittsburgh, and she comes across an, a disc that piques her interest, uh, recorded in 1932, and it sounds for the world like the guy invented rock and roll. So the kid in wow. Pittsburgh, whose dreams of being a music manager, hunts the original musician down. He's working as a janitor in Colorado. And so he hops the bus, leaves home, and heads for Colorado to say, here we go, we're going to become stars, you and me. <laughs> and so the book is... Uh, First of all, there's two timelines, 1969, which is uh, so I get a chance to use my own life in Fort Collins, Colorado as uh, historical fiction. <laughs> yeah. And then the second timeline is the Depression era and following this, the, this old guy whose name is Willie Johnson. Now, there was at least two other Willie Johnsons, but that's in the blues tradition. There are so many guys named Lightning, so many guys named Sonny Boy. I thought it was fun to have uh, the Willie Johnson. That, that's Yeah, there's some poetic license there for you, Brian. Yes. Um, what What's that book called, Brian? Sins in Blue. Sins in Blue. Okay. Sins in Blue, which uh, refers to the title of a song uh, that Willie Johnson wrote. And therein is some of the mystery of what's yep. going on. And it's the saddest song ever written. Oh, is it? Yeah. And I, I have attempted to write it myself and uh, have failed miserably. But I've had a couple of songs where I came. I thought, wow, that phrase would be in there. And that's as good as I get. So you write songs as well? Yes, and they're terrible. <laughs> well, I, I guess with writing the blues, the, the subjects are uh, my baby left me. <laughs> I haven't got any money. Um, nowhere to sleep. I'm drunk. It's late night in the bar. It's quite limited, isn't it? Well, yeah. It's there's there's some uh, there's some good ones. And I, I don't want to give short shrift to some of those great guys, but you have certainly described my yeah. blues songs. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I'll I tell you, I'm very, very curious. I noticed on your biography, um, it said, I don't know whether you still are, but a pro wrestler. Oh, uh, that is said in other, in other universes, I was those things. Ah. What I'm saying is, is that oh, yeah. given a different branch, I'd have gone. I'd have to be six inches taller to be a pro wrestler. But, boy, that would be good. I did do some DJ work. And I actually, this is not a surprise. I did blues music. Uh, oh. I also had a sh was on a show where the only artist we played was Frank Zappa. And we would do Frank Zappa night every Saturday after, yeah. and it was from midnight to three in the morning. <laughs> Prime slot. Lots of, lots of Joe's garage. Yeah. Oh, any time I had to go to the bathroom. Yes. Yeah, it's about the only album I've got of his actually. Ah. 
1978 that came out, I believe. Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. So have, have you got any other ideas for – what sort of ideas have you got for your next books then, Brian? The next book's already written. Um, I'm, I entered it in uh, Killer Nashville, which is this amazing contest for crime novels. And it was a uh, finalist, so I know the book's got something. Uh, it's noir, uh, a private eye. But I kind of mixed some genre things. Uh, it's also near future dystopian. And the noir protagonist has what they call the dark triad of characteristics. He's sociopathic, narcissistic, and Machiavellian. And what I speculate is, is that in a near future dystopia, those would be survival traits, which gives the book a little bit of an edge. But it sounds very interesting, particularly with AI and stuff and how we're living today. Yes. So what other projects have you got coming up, Brian? Well, I have a second book on that. It's actually my attempt to write a series. And so I have a second book half done. I have a book uh, yeah. that's more more like a persistent echo. It's a, a book club type fiction uh, about a, a guy who's living alone in the mountains and uh, someone else is stranded up there because they get dumped. And the book is called The Stray. I'll be interested to see how that turns out. It's, it's one of those that's going to be a slow build for me and then i have a yeah. horror novel going back to horror so you see i have a bunch of things on the burners yeah so so it's essential that you retire sooner rather than later yes. i say retire you won't be retiring from work retiring from traditional work and just getting back into your writing yes full time. I, I think of it as retiring ish because i agreed yes. to do contract work part-time and they gave me three years worth of projects so I guess I'll still be working some. If you, if you could summarize for, if I mentioned earlier on about any listeners that wanted to be writers, but we do have a lot of people listening to this who um, email us and tell us that they want to write books and things. And they're always interested in hearing from authors. What sort of advice would you give? What, what have you learned the most out of writing that you'd like to pass on to people? I think the first thing I'd say is, is know what you're trying to do. There, I have a friend who wrote a standalone novel. She just had this one book in her. She wrote it. She published it. She's done. I have another friend who wrote memoir stuff for her family. And it's marvelous stuff. And she wrote it. And it's to pass on to kids. There are other people who want, okay. yeah. there are other people who want to be an author. And there are other people who want to write. So the first thing is, is know what you want to do. Uh, once you know where you're going, you, how to get there is a whole lot easier. But you got to be honest with yourself about where you want to go. And the, the best clue, if you can do this, if it's something you can do long term, because O is writing a long term thing. The best clue is... If you enjoy writing, if sitting down at the keyboard makes you happy, then you can do it. Uh, I think almost anyone could do it, but they got to enjoy the process. And do you find that, I don't know how many hours a day you write, 
but do you do you find that as you're writing um more ideas come to you yes and that's funny i tell people writing begets writing um what yeah. you're dealing with is a is a single narrative line sometimes two narrative lines but things branch off in your head automatically and you begin thinking about well i could do this I could do that. And I write them all down. And it's absurd. No one could write all the stories that I have listed on my list. No one could take that much time. So, yeah, as you sit and write, things occur to you and you keep coming up with more ideas. And when you're actually doing the writing, are you very precious about um, punctuation and stuff? Or do you just get the ideas down and then go back later? Yes. Um I care about punctuation because yeah, some of my books have been made into audiobooks and they're wonderful. I love audiobooks. Um, when I drive into work, it's an hour each way. So audiobooks are a saving grace. Punctuation is sound direction for the audiobook. That's the way I think of it. I want to make sure that I'm really precise with it so that whoever would read into the microphone would know what my inflection was, what I wanted, how I wanted it to sound. But um, I, I catch that stuff on the, on the, on the backside. When I'm writing a rough draft, I'm just hammering ahead. Yeah. 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 So you got, you got to keep that creative flow going, haven't you? I guess. Yes. Yes. Don't interrupt. <laughs> it's uh, I, there are people who interrupt themselves. My sister, who's a fine writer, uh, her first novel, she had such a terrible time. It took her two years to write two chapters because she kept going back. They have to be perfect. They And, and no, they don't have to be. <laughs> no. no. You've got about 11 edits sometimes, haven't you, to, to go through? Oh, many, many more. Um, I'm obsessive with it. It's crazy. I'm in two writers groups, yeah. critique groups. And you asked about uh, advice to writers, get in a critique group. Uh, you can't, you write alone. You can't develop or enhance alone. You can't write in a vacuum. So get in a critique group. I'm in two critique groups. So every one of my books has been edited by me. It's probably seen five passes before I hand it in. I got 12 beta readers who, who write back. And then I run it past three kinds of editing software, do multiple edits, including an out loud edit where I read every word out loud because you hear things differently than you see them on the page and you'll spot things. And then I send it to an editor to edit. <laughs> that sounds great advice for these reading groups. So, so just, just as, as I understand it, then what, what would happen is you, you or somebody else, somebody would send you their book that's almost finished. So you'd read the 300 pages and then you get together with others that have read it and then you discuss it online. Is that right? Is that how it works? Yeah, we actually take it 20 pages at a time. So the process can take a year. And yeah, we we, sounds very useful. we critique, critique each other's stuff and people end up getting published that way. Um, the people in my groups are all published. Yeah. They weren't when they started. No. Do you ever meet people who writes not so much because of the artistic creative side they might have some of that but they they really just want to produce a book or two a year to make money and live do you, do you ever meet people like that i have 
And they're very adept at reading the market. And they're very adept at marketing books, which authors in general are terrible at it. It's the, it's the opposite effort of writing alone is getting out and marketing. So I have met people who are like that. Um, and they're successful. I got to tell you, they're more successful than I've been. So hats <laughs> off to them. There's, there's probably a happy medium, isn't there? I'm, there has to be. There has to be. Brian, where can people find out more about you and the book, please? Uh, my website is, it's all one word, authorbriankaufman.com. So author, B-R-I-A-N-K-A-U-F-M-A-N.com. And my website's there. And it's got all of my books and links to all of my books and uh, blog articles about writing and all kinds of interesting side stuff and contact info for me there, there too. So that's the best way to get me. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there. Brian, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been really interesting hearing your story and also your varied interests. And I, I particularly look forward to reading this book. My guest today has been Brian Kaufman. Brian's book, A Persistent Echo, is out now. And you'll find a link to the book and Brian's website on the show notes. Thank you for coming on the show, Brian. Thanks a lot, Bob. have been listening to undercurrent stories i hope you've enjoyed this episode please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family and if you have 60 seconds i will be most grateful if you would please rate and review to hear more episodes please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com if you leave your email in the link we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released also check out our social media links details of which can be found on the show notes Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best. 